The reading this morning is Psalm 43. It's only five verses, so listen up. (laughs) Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Rescue me from deceitful and wicked men. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then will I go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the harp, O God, my God. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks very much for that, Luke. Listen up. Uh, Does that mean we're not supposed to listen up if it's longer? Or just listen up because it's God's word? We should all say that before we listen to God's word. I'm very sorry, for some strange reason, I've been rostered on leading and preaching at the same time. So I apologise for that. It doesn't happen very often, but that's what's happened this morning. Please do remember, James is not with us this morning. James is preaching for one of the other churches in the diocese out at Rangiora. Please keep him in the church there in your prayers uh, and pray that they would have a great time this morning. And why don't I pray that uh, God would help us um, have a deeper understanding of this great psalm before we spend a few moments thinking about it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and uh, we thank you for the Psalms in particular and the opportunity we get over these summer weeks through January and sometimes into February of stopping and thinking about a few of these wonderful Psalms that often speak to our souls, that uh, encourage us or um, that they sometimes challenge us. We pray, Lord, as we look at Psalm 43 now, by your Spirit, uh, give us uh, an understanding of this psalm that would help us understand you better, that would help us cope with life better, that would help us cling to the Lord Jesus more closely. So be with us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm on the record saying that uh, I do love this summer psalm series. I think it's a great way to start the year because the psalms often speak in a way that all, all of God's word does, but there's something special about the psalms. And it's been the, the experience of Christians down through the centuries to find comfort and help in the Psalms. I think because often the Psalms put to words the emotions and experiences that many of us go through, not just as human beings but as Christians. And I think it's common for all human beings to, to take courage and take comfort when we realise we're not alone. When we're struggling in a particular way, we can think we're odd, we're unique, no one else understands us or know what's going through. When we realise we're not alone, that there are others who understood, when there are others who've walked the road before us, it gives us confidence and courage. The Psalms give us that often. Well, today we're looking at Psalm 43 in particular. Uh, Many people think that originally Psalm 43 was part of Psalm 42, that the two were just one longer psalm. Psalm 43 was the third stanza, if you like. Uh, Psalm 42 is the famous psalm that many people remember. uh, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. And uh, I probably don't think they were the one, I think they're two separate ones, but I can see why many people do think it, because they're very similar in tone and in content. 
In fact, in terms of content, verse 5 of our psalm, if we can show verse 5 for a second, Andrew, um, comes up twice in Psalm 42, the same verses used in Psalm 42. And it's because of verse 5 I actually wanted to preach on this psalm. I love verse 5. If you want a good memory verse for life, you could do much worse than memorising this one. Memorising it so that you can hold on to it when you need it, so that you can speak it to yourself when you require it, so that you can recall it in hard times and put it into effect when the going gets tough. Verse 5, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him my Saviour and my God. It's a great verse, verse 5, and I hope that by the end of our just few minutes thinking on this psalm, you will agree with me and perhaps even some of you will take it as a memory verse for um, uh, the rest of life. Uh, Let me just say a couple of things about the psalm uh, generally and then I'll look at two things in particular that spring out of it. Now, Psalm 43 starts off in a way that's not always familiar to our ears. The psalmist, whoever the psalmist is, and we don't know, so unlike last week where we knew it was David, Psalm 43 doesn't say. If if Psalm 43 is part of Psalm 42, then it's attributed to the sons of Korah, who I like to think of as a travelling band, but I could be wrong. But the sons of Korah, so maybe it's that, but we don't know who the psalmist is. But the psalmist, whoever it is, asks God to vindicate him. He says, vindicate me in front of an ungodly nation. Now to vindicate is to exonerate, to clear from blame. So the psalmist is clearly seeing God as the judge and he's saying, God, please show my innocence, my righteousness to this ungodly nation. Vindicate me, clear me of blame. Now that's interesting because He's got a problem with the idea of God as judge, but it's not perhaps the normal problems that people have with the idea of God as judge. There are lots of people in this world who've got a problem with the idea of God as judge. For some, the problem is, well, who are you to judge me? Who are you? I'm my own person. I'm responsible for what I do and what I say and how I live. Why do I owe anything to you? Why would you be judging me? That's the problem some people have with judge. Uh, with God as judge. Now can I just say that's a foolish problem to have with God as judge if he's the creator of you. If you actually owe your existence, your life, your well-being, this world to his hand, don't have that attitude to God as judge. But that's the attitude that some people have. Other people have the problem with God as judge because they feel so inadequate and so lowly. And so they, they come before the throne of God and think, well I can't stand before you because I know what I'm like. I let you down, I let others down, I'm broken, I'm sinful, I can't stand before you as a sinful person because I've done too much bad in my life, I've drifted too far in my life. That's another problem people have often with the thought of God as judge. If that's you this morning, can I say that's a foolish thing to have a problem with God as judge because he's so loving. And when God is that loving, he accepts us. He rejoices that we're coming to him no matter how broken we are or lowly we are. But here the problem is different with the thought of God as judge. It's the thought that God hasn't cleared the innocence of the writer of this psalm in front of other people. That he hasn't shown that this guy is good, he's okay in front of this ungodly nation when he's in the right. And that can sound strange to our ears at first, although I think once we we pause and reflect on it, we we get it. 
We understand it. There are times in our lives when we feel like we've been doing the right thing. We've been making a real effort in the way that we honour God and love people and live our lives, but we're falsely accused by other people. We have other people turning on us and wronging us, hurting us or inflicting pain on us. And we can cry out to God and say, God, please vindicate me. Please, Lord, let these people know that's not what I did. It's not what I said. It's not my intention. It's not who I am. I've been telling the truth. I've been doing the right thing. Vindicate me. Show these people that I've been in the right. That's what's going on for the psalmist in this psalm. He's asking God for vindication from others and for rescue from them because they are such a bad group of people. But as well as wrestling with that, do you see what that's led him to? Because he's asking, he's been living the right way and he's asking God to please show that, demonstrate that to other people and it's not happening, it's now causing him to doubt his relationship with God. Because God, if you're the judge and you're the righteous judge and the just judge and I'm suffering here after I've been doing good things, then where's my relationship with you at? That's what's going on for him. This guy, I think... He loves the Lord. If you you look at verse 3 and 4, he talks about going to the Lord's mountain. He talks about going to the Lord's altar, praising him, drawing near to him. He loves the Lord. But as he is experiencing these problems with people, and as he's experiencing silence from God, the judge, you can see this guy wrestling with, what does this mean? Have I got a good relationship with God or don't I? And he wrestles it kind of with two realities. You can see it in verse 2. You are, my, you are God, my stronghold, he says. Why have you rejected me? So he knows in his head, God, you're my stronghold. You're the one that holds me and that I look to for confidence and comfort. Yet you've rejected me. Why have you rejected me? There's a lot in that. But this is what he's wrestling with in this psalm. He knows that God's his stronghold. He knows wonderful truths about God. But in his experiences, he doesn't feel that way. He feels that God has rejected him. And so he carries on. Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Do you, do you get the sense of what he's feeling? You must have rejected me, Lord, because I'm so miserable. And people who don't care about you are making my life awful. Why have you rejected me? Please vindicate me. Do you get the sense of it? And so we see in this psalm a guy who's wrestling with his love for the Lord, his knowledge of who God is and what God's like and what he's done, and yet he's experiencing suffering at the hands of people he knows um, aren't just and silence from God. And so he comes to the conclusion in this psalm he must have been rejected by God. Have you ever felt that way? I think every Christian has felt that way to some extent at some stage in their life. Well, the psalm, I believe, gives two practical steps to take if we find ourselves in a similar situation. Two uh, things for us to do, to put into practice if we find ourselves in the same kind of heart space, life space that the psalmist is here. And the first is, not surprisingly, here's a Sunday school lesson answer if uh, ever there is one. The first truth or practical step is turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Now you might think, why have you said turn to Jesus, Jay? The psalm doesn't say anything about Jesus. It's the Old Testament. Jesus hasn't even come along yet. He's not even a twinkle in Mary's eye. What are you talking about? That's true. But when the psalmist asks God to help him, look at the language and look at the imagery that the psalmist uses. Verse 3, he's pleading to God, send forth your light and your truth, let them guide me. 
Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God. When he asks God for help, do you see the language and the imagery that he uses? He asks for God's light and truth to lead him to God, to the altar of God. Who's the light of the world in the New Testament? Jesus. Who's the truth in the New Testament? Jesus, the way, the truth and the life. In the New Testament, it's no longer about going to the place where God dwells, but God coming to dwell with us in a person, Jesus. And when you think of the altar, what do you think of? Back in the Old Testament, the altar was the place where you could have a good relationship with God because a priest offered an animal sacrifice for your good so that you could have a good relationship with God. When you get to the New Testament, how's that fulfilled? We have Jesus as our high priest offering himself as the sacrifice, the Lamb of God, so that we can have a right relationship with God. Jesus fulfills all the imagery here in verses 3 and 4. It's Jesus who fulfills it. And so when the psalmist is saying, God, please give me light and truth to lead me here, and what he's really saying is give me Jesus. And so I'm saying to us today, you and me, turn to Jesus when you're feeling in this state. Jesus is that good. In a world full of darkness and deception, and make no mistake about it, that's what this world is full of, darkness and deception, he really is light and truth. When you need to find the light and understand the truth, you'll find it only in Jesus Christ. This world is struggling to understand what truth is today. They don't know what it is. They don't know where to find it. They've resorted to, well, I make my own truth up. No, no, there is truth. It's Jesus Christ. And it's clambering in the darkness. Jesus shines the light that the world needs. In a world full of change and instability, he's the constant and the reliable. In a world full of options and possibilities, let him be your guide. The psalmist is asking for guidance here. Let Jesus be your guide. Run things, every decision you make in life through Jesus. What, 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 does, what difference does knowing Jesus and who he is and what he's done make to these decisions? And let him bring the presence of God to you. And he does that in an even greater way than in the Old Testament, right? Because when we're in Jesus, we don't just go to a place to be where God dwells. He dwells in us by his spirit because of Jesus. The presence of God is always with you. When you turn to Jesus, you remember God is with you, always Never forsake you. Find comfort and strength and peace and assurance in him. And the psalmist says in verse 4, Then I'll go to the altar of God, that's Jesus, to God, my joy and my delight. Having God dwell within you should allow you to have Jesus as your joy and your delight. Is Jesus your joy and your delight? Or do you find joy and delight in other things? Uh, I think it's okay to find joy and delight in other things. Uh, I think that's fine. God's created this world to be delighted in, to bring joy. You look back at the book of Genesis and he doesn't just create trees for food. He creates trees that please the eye, that we're supposed to delight in them and rejoice in them. But don't ever mistake the gift for the giver. We do that sometimes. People in this life find their delight and joy only in the things of this life. And it's never complete. It's never full. And sometimes people start to live for those things that they find their joy and delight in. They actually worship them. Instead of worshipping the one who's given these things, they worship the things themselves. 
the stuff of this world, be it their own self or their family or their money or their experiences, the Bible calls that idolatry because it's giving to something else the honour that should be due to God, the one who's given us all these things. Delight and find joy by all means in things of this world but don't worship them because they're fallen and frail. They will not fulfil or last. We're to worship the Creator and find our true joy and delight in Him uh, and him first. And when we do that, everything else falls into place. When you find your full, perfect joy and delight in Jesus, that will then reinforce the joy and delight that you find in all other things. And it will be expressed the way it's supposed to. You'll be living the way you were created to, and it will then all fall into place and work better in that way. And then if we have our joy and delight in Jesus, as it says there, second half of verse 4, we will praise him with the harp. Praise him with the harp, musicians. What are we, what's going, where's our harp this morning? Not the drums, do you see? We will praise him with the harp. I take it that the praise there is not just our response to the joy and delight, although it is a response to the joy and delight we have in Jesus, it somehow completes our joy and, and um, uh, delight in Jesus. What I mean by that is as we sing praises to the Lord, our joy and delight is enhanced, it's reinforced, it's intensified. There's something about music, the way that God's created it, that helps us do that and express that joy and delight in a way that helps us rejoice. It's why music is part of the Christian life and why I love it when it moves us to a fuller joy and fuller delight. Now, music, it's odd, isn't it? Music's often the most controversial thing in church life. It shouldn't be. It should be the thing that helps us find our joy and delight in the Lord all the more, but it is. You've got people who complain about different aspects. I'm looking at the drums again. I can't help it. It's always the drum. Not all the drummers, Luke. I don't get any complaints about most of the drummers. Just some of the drummers. There are some people who like it quieter or louder. I've found that the way to... If you don't like a particular song or a particular style or it's too loud, just sing as loud as you can. Then you can't hear anything else. It doesn't matter. And your joy and delight can carry on fully. Now, just like the other things I was speaking about, sometimes people can start to worship music or sometimes people can start to wor wor almost worship the experience of music. No, 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 we don't want that. It's the gift, not the giver. But isn't it wonderful when praise of him fills out and enhances our joy and delight in the Lord? It's the power of music. It's the great power of music that God's given us. And I think it's better when we do it with others. It's like other things in life. It's, it's better when we do it together. If you ever think about... Um, watching a, a comedy or a scary movie. or th There's something about laughing with others that makes it better. There's something about being scared with others. It's the same with praise. I can't, as much as I'd love to, my joy and delight is not as fulfilled as much when I sing praises on my own as it is when I'm with brothers and sisters in Christ who do it a lot better than me, but there's, there's something about doing it. But all of this is saying, turn to Jesus. He's worth it. Because he is the light. He is the truth. He is the one in whom our joy and delight is found. He's the one that will help us sing praises that we rejoice in. Turn to Jesus. He will not let you down. He will last. And so when you find yourself in a similar situation as the psalmist does here and you're struggling in life, make a conscious effort to turn to Jesus. What does that mean? Well, it might mean opening up one of the Gospels. Getting back to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John and being reminded again of the words that Jesus said, the things that he did. 
in a few weeks' time here at St. Stephen's, we're going to go back to Matthew's Gospel. Every, every couple of years, I try and make sure we spend some time in a Gospel because we want to spend time with Jesus. Uh, spend some time reflecting on what he's done for you. Complete your joy and delight in him as you praise him. Eyes off circumstances, eyes on to Jesus. So the first point is turn to Jesus. The second one, the second point from this uh, psalm, if you find yourself in a position like this is, and this might be slightly, uh, you might, we're going to get turned to Jesus, you might not get the second one, preach to yourself. Preach to yourself. It's very interesting that the psalm doesn't finish with verse 4. It goes on to verse 5. It doesn't finish with turn to Jesus and sing praises for the rest of your life. But this is part of the reason I love the psalms because it's true to life. My experience in life is not that I remain in verse 4 praising God with no things shifting me or moving me or bringing me down or causing me problems. The problems of life in this fallen world continue and so verse 5 finishes with the psalmist preaching to himself. Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? And then he tells himself what to do. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Do you see what the psalmist does here? It's very interesting and very important. The psalmist admits honestly his struggle. He names it his downcast soul, his feeling disturbed. Sometimes we don't admit it. You want to admit it. He admits it. His downcast soul and feeling disturbed. Then he tells himself what he's to do. Put his hope in God. He says, I will yet, I think the yet's important there, isn't it, in terms of the sense of what he's feeling. I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. That is so important. There are times in your life when you may need to speak to your soul. That's literally what the psalmist does here. He's speaking to his soul. Where you may need to rise above your feelings, how you're feeling and your circumstances, what you're going through in life, and tell yourself truths and tell yourself what to do. I spoke about this a few years ago, preaching on depression. And I spoke about that one, of the, one of the difficulties, whether you're in clinical depression or just feeling downcast because of the difficulties of life, one of the dangers is that when we're in that spirit or state of mind, what we do is we listen to ourselves a lot, that kind of inner voice. And because often at those times we draw back from others, that becomes the only thing we hear and listen to, our own voice. Martin Lloyd-Jones is great on this in his book Spiritual Depression. If you haven't read it and this interests you, then, then read that book. And what happens when, that, when we're in that state, our feelings dictate how we view ourselves, how we view life, how we view our situation, how we view the future, and it can get worse and worse and worse because the worse we feel, the, wor- the more we hear ourselves and we just decline further and further down. This psalm reminds us there are times when we mustn't listen to ourselves, we must speak to ourselves. We mustn't just listen to our automatic kind of inner voice. We must preach to ourselves God's truth. Remind ourselves of truths that we know in our head that we may not be feeling in our heart. Instruct ourselves to do what he tells us is best even when it might not be what we're feeling. Remind ourselves of things that are objectively true even if it's not what we're thinking or feeling at the time, if we don't care about them or we can't feel them or see them. Reminding ourselves of promises of God to hold on to when they're not the the experience of our present circumstances. 
I want you to know this is one of the reasons why teaching Christian truths is so important. There are some churches, some preachers that are kind of told off because, well, you just teach truths for, for the head. You don't engage the soul or the heart enough. It's just kind of up here. Now, it's terrible if people aren't engaging the soul and the heart, and, but don't neglect this because there will be times that this is all that's keeping you going other than the subjective emotions that are all over the place. The psalmist here, in the midst of real struggle, was able to express his feelings honestly and truthfully while at the same time holding on to truths he knew in his head that God was his stronghold, that he needed God's presence and reminding himself of them. Sometimes when our hearts are weak, we need our minds to kick into gear. Sometimes when our feelings are leading us in the wrong direction, we need our heads to remind us of the right direction. In the same way that if we just head no heart, we will be so imbalanced in the Christian life and it will cause us awful problems in our Christian walk, the reverse is also true. If we're just heart with no head, not having learned truths and memorised truths and got in our head uh, promises of God or Bible verses, then we will be on shaky ground at times. Our emotions can be wonderful things. We've just been talking about joy and delight, which are, in part, emotions, but they can also, at times, be our worst enemy. Emotions are wonderful servants, but we must not let them master us. We can't be slaves to them. There will be times in your life when you need to preach to yourself, when you need to speak to your soul, where you need to remind yourself of the facts that your feelings have forgotten, where you need to retell yourself the truths that your feelings are neglecting. You will need to preach to yourself. So think about how to do that. There's lots of different ways, and personality comes into this. I have a family of of, um, uh, three girls in our family. All of them write things down. They journal They write down Bible verses and truths and just the writing it down and reading it again helps it reinforce in their mind. That doesn't really work for me, it works for them. For some people it's the memorisation. They uh, they actually just memorise verses and hold on to them. For some they get in relationship with other Christians and they speak them to each other because just the verbalisation of them kind of pull it into their head and their heart. Whatever it is, learn these things so that you can preach to yourself when you need it, when the time comes. And do so, verse 5 says, with your hope in God. Trusting things will not remain the same as they are now, as they feel now. The Christian life is about hope in God, expectant and patient. I know it won't always be like this, but it's, I'm struggling with it at the moment, but I'll be patient. Praising your Saviour and God. Blessed be your name in this and in this. Do you see the psalmist? Do you see what he's feeling? Do you see what he says? Turn to Jesus. Preach to yourself. When we're tempted to despair, we can sometimes give up. We can sometimes try to distract ourselves with the stuff of this world. It never fully distracts us. It will only be temporary, but we can try and do that. We sometimes hurt ourselves because we're struggling so much. Or we can turn to Jesus and preach to ourselves. The psalmist shows enormous wisdom here. It's God's wisdom. Of course it is. I pray we will too. I said that verse 5 is a great memory verse, so why don't we finish this morning by saying it out loud together. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? 
Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the experience that the psalmist went through and the wonderful truths that he shared with us this morning. And I pray that each of us would um, be able to put these into effect in our lives. I pray especially this morning for whom uh, the experience of the psalmist is not just an intellectual exercise, it's what they're feeling or going through right now. Father, please help them turn to your son, the true light, the true truth, and please help them preach to themselves your promises. And I ask that this would help them carry on. In Jesus' name, amen.